Good morning again. In case you weren't here at the beginning of our worship service, I'm Pastor Bill, and it is my privilege and honor to bring us today a message from God's Word. So every Tuesday morning at 7.30, I meet with a, every Wednesday morning, excuse me, at 7.30, I meet with a group of lead pastors here in Boston. The group consists of two or three Asian pastors, around four or five Caucasian pastors, and around four or five African-American pastors. And this week, one of the African-American pastors prayed this. He prayed, Lord, there is a heaviness in the air. There is a thickness in the atmosphere. There is a weight upon our hearts. For so many of us, the cumulative upheavals of 2020 and the upcoming U.S. elections are heavy and thick and weighing on our hearts. So just for a couple moments here, before we get to the meat of the message, let's let the weight lift just a little bit, and then we'll get to the theme of the message today. So I don't know whether you've heard of the restaurant El Arroyo. Uh, it is a restaurant in Austin, Texas, and they are crushing the funny restaurant sign game. So I picked a few of us few to look at with you this morning. You can go to Pinterest and find the ones that you like, but here are some of my favorites. I actually very much like the ironic ones, like these two. The first rule of the passive-aggressive club. You know what? Never mind. I'm fine. And this one, I'm not passive-aggressive like some people. You might not know who you are, but all the rest of us know who you are. And then this next one, I've actually thought of this when these come across my Instagram, and so I like this one. If you tag me on the push-up challenge, I'm blocking you. This year, of course, lots and lots of their signs have been about quarantine during COVID. This one, remember when you wished the weekend would last forever? Happy now? And my dog is looking at me like, see, this is why I chew the furniture. And this one would have been early in 2020, but I kind of like it. 2020 was looking like a chocolate chip cookie. Then bam, I bite. Oatmeal raisin. And this one I wish wasn't true, but sadly it is for me. I need to practice some social distancing from my fridge. And this next one about exercise, I'll let you read it for yourself. And then, for those of you who are married, spending way, way more time together, take a look at this one. And you might want to join the family ministry fight club coming up. And then, I am getting way too comfortable looking this ugly all the time. I have to be honest with you, this is the first Sunday in a long time that I've actually had to get dressed so that I could come 
to where we are broadcasting this live service. And finally, one that rings true for many of us in 2020. Life is like a game of chess. I don't know how to play chess. And the heaviness settles back again. This Tuesday, we will have the US national elections, and we don't know what's going to happen. We've stocked up on toilet paper and probably some extra food. And windows around the city of Boston have been boarded up in case there is social unrest. There's so much disruption and divisiveness in our country, in our world, and also in the church. Talking about the added pressure of the election, Rich Velotis, the pastor of New Life Church in Brooklyn said, many Christians are falling into the trap of thinking that God only loves the people that agree with their own ways of thinking. And then he quotes Anne Lamont, who said, you can safely assume you have made God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the people you do. So, with these reminders, we turn today to our final talk in the Political Christian Sermon Series. Why on earth did your pastors decide to preach a series on the political Christian when politics is so divisive? Abortion, right to life, right to choice, gay marriage, gay rights, immigration reform, ICE, children separated from their parents at the border, unaccompanied children deported to Mexico, systemic racism, black men shot by the police, defunding the police, law and order, black-on-black -black violence, mass incarceration, black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter, reparations, the environment, Obamacare, gun rights, the Me Too movement, domestic violence, voter suppression, and the swearing-in of Amy Coney Barrett as the newest Supreme Court judge. And wearing or not wearing masks as a political statement. Are you annoyed or frustrated or angry yet? I hope that you've heard loudly and clearly in this series on the political Christian. I hope that you've, you've heard that Jesus is a political leader and the Bible is a political book. But the political way of Jesus is not Republican or Democrat or Independent. The Jesus way is political and it is partisan, but not to human political parties, not to any one nationality, not to any race or ethnicity, and not to any economic system. When Jesus was asked by one of the political leaders in his day if he was a king, Jesus said, it is as you say, I am a king. 
And then he said, but my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is political and he is partisan to the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. Faithful followers of Jesus, therefore, as political Christians, will be faithful first and foremost to the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And while the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, is not of this world, it overarches and it has greater authority than any kingdom of this world. And therefore, as followers of Jesus, our allegiance is first, first to the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So by now, I hope you realize that the pastor is a cornerstone. We are not going to do your thinking and your wrestling with tough political issues for you. We don't want to get in the way of you becoming deep and reflective and effective political Christians. We're not going to helicopter pastor you. We are not going to oversee your political views. What you can count on us to do is to give you ideas on how to arrive at a distinctly Christ-centered ethical foundation that empowers you to approach politics with humility and conviction and thoughtfulness and nuance and boldness and wisdom with the understanding that the kingdom of Jesus is not of this world, but it has authority over every kingdom in this world and it is advancing in this world. So the scripture that we will examine this morning is from the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and it gives us a picture of what happens when political Christians are living the life that they are called to do. It gives us a picture of what happens in our cities. This is Proverbs 11, verses 10 and 11. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. It's very brief, just two verses. Let me read it again. Proverbs 11, 10 and 11. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by, by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Now, it would be easy to read these two verses as a passive observation about good people prospering and the city standing on the sidelines saying, woohoo for them, they're prospering and they're good people. But that would be a fundamental misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches about the righteous. The Old Testament word for righteous is a rich word that is sometimes translated as the just, those who do justice. The righteous, by definition, are those who, who are pursuing the good of others even to their own expense. So Proverbs 11, 10, 10, 11 says that the city rejoices when those who do justice thrive. And the reason the city is rejoicing is because it has received the fruit and the blessings of those who do justice and bring shalom. It's a cause and effect. It's not just a correlation. The city rejoices because the righteous bring justice and shalom. 
Pastor Tim Keller, in a sermon on this, these verses, says, The righteous are the just who follow God's will and ways and see everything they are and have as gifts from God to be stewarded for his purposes. The righteous of the book of Proverbs are, by definition, those who are willing to disadvantage themselves for the community, while the wicked are those who put their own economic, social, and personal needs ahead of the needs of com the community. When the ones who do justice prosper, they steward their money, their influence, their time, their, exp their expertise, their vocation, their status, and their privilege. They steward all that they've received for the good of the city. When they prosper, the people at the bottom rejoice because the righteous live for the common good, because they bring justice and shalom to the city. The city rejoices. And such a rejoicing it is. The word in verse 10 for rejoice is not a mild kind of, yeah, good for them rejoicing. No, the, the Old Testament word in verse 10 is a rejoicing that refers to a dancing in the street kind of rejoicing, rejoicing that is ecstatic, that is exulting, that is triumphant, that is deeply passionate, and that is a soul-soaring rejoicing. Amy Sherman, in her book, Kingdom Calling, writes this. She says, by this we realize the righteous in their prospering must be making a remarkable positive difference in their city. They must be stewarding their power, wealth, skills, and influence for the common good to bring about noticeable, significant transformation in their city. Otherwise, what would cause the residents there to go crazy with gladness and gratitude? When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Amy goes on to note that this kind of rejoicing doesn't come from just living moral lives and donating to the Salvation Army. She continues and she writes, this kind of rejoicing comes when the righteous advance justice and shalom in a way that vulnerable, vulnerable people at the bottom stop being oppressed, start having genuine opportunity, and begin to enjoy spiritual and physical health, economic sufficiency, and security. So the question this text asks of us, is anyone in your city rejoicing because you are bringing it so much justice and shalom? Is anyone in our city rejoicing because we are bringing it justice and shalom? Because if Proverbs 11, 10 and 11 is true, that a city rejoices when the righteous prosper, then if we are prospering and the city is not rejoicing, the conclusion has to be that we are not among the righteous. We are not bringing justice. If we are prospering and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools and our cities are not rejoicing because of us, then we are not fulfilling our calling as political Christians to bring justice and shalom to our cities. We are not then 
the just. We are not the righteous. And this is the consistent testimony throughout the Bible. Listen to Psalm 29.7. It says, the righteous care for justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. And when, when the psalmist says the righteous care, that word for care is a deep gut-level concern for the poor that energizes us to action. Brothers and sisters at Cornerstone, most of us who are connected to Cornerstone Church are the prospering of the world educationally and vocationally and relationally and financially compared to the millions of poor on our planet. We are prospering. The question is, will we be the righteous who bring our cities justice and shalom so that our cities rejoice? So I want to give you some ideas of how we can rejoice our cities as political Christians. Because you know what? Voting is not enough. Praying is not enough. And caring is not enough. Voting, praying, and caring matter. But to be Christ-honoring political Christians, we have to move beyond voting and praying and caring to develop a biblical system of ethics that propels us to proximity, solidarity, and advocacy. Let me say that again. To be Christ-honoring political Christians, we have to move beyond voting and caring and, and praying, and we have to develop a biblical system of ethics that propels us to proximity, solidarity, and advocacy. And so let me give you just five ideas that, as I prayed about this and reflected it on this week, just five ideas to help us know how to rejoice our cities as the righteous who bring justice and shalom. Number one, develop a biblical ethical foundation. Develop a biblical ethical foundation. To be Christ-like political Christians, we have to know what we believe and why we believe it. If we don't know as Christians what we believe and why we believe it, then our beliefs and, and our foundations are, are just as fickle as any other opinion that is being pushed upon our culture. So how do we develop a biblical-centered, ethical foundation? Hint, it doesn't come in one sermon, doesn't come from reading just one book, it doesn't come from listening to one podcast. Developing a biblical ethical foundation as a political Christian will be a lifelong spiritual discipline of bringing every political idea before God's word, bringing it into the light of God's word, and learning what might be God's perspective on that political issue. But how do we do that? Well, eventually, we ought to read the entire Bible. But we're usually not going to start by reading the entire Bible. But there are three places we can go to ground our biblical ethical foundations as political Christians. And they make perfect sense. We go to the Ten Commandments. We go to the Sermon on the Mount. 
and we go to the greatest two commandments to love God and to love each other that Pastor Danny preached on last week. As political Christians, we hold up every political issue to the Ten Commandments, to the Sermon on the Mount, and to the greatest commandments, and we see what God's view may be on that political issue. It may not be addressed in those texts, that particular issue, but there will be principles and foundations that will inform how we think and how we act and how we vote on those issues. Take abortion. Volatile issue in our culture and in our world. Read the Ten Commandments. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read the Greatest Commandments. And find any principles there that indicate how God might view abortion. Take gay, gay marriage. Read the Ten Commandments. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read the two greatest commandments and see if there are any principles there that would inform you as to how God views gay marriage. Gay rights, same thing. Ten Commandments, Sermon on the Mount, the greatest commandments. See what you find there about what God's view may be about gay rights. And take immigration. Ten Commandments, Sermon on the Mount, the greatest commandments. What do they say? What do they give us as principles so that we can decide how to think about and act when it comes to immigration policies? Over the years, I've developed some essentials, essential tenets of my own biblically informed ethical foundation as a political Christian. And this is not to do your work for you. You have to do your own exploring. You have to do your own thinking because that's part of the process. But here are some of my ethical beliefs that shape me as a political Christian. And I have scriptures to back up each one of them. First, I believe God is good. God is personal, caring, and loving. And God is holy. And that shapes how I approach every political issue. A second one, I believe that there is truth woven into the fabric of the universe. Truth that is true for all people at all times because it is God's truth. And I'm convinced that when I live within the boundaries of God's truth, I thrive. And others thrive because of me. And I am convinced that when I defy God's truth and live outside the boundaries of God's truth, I don't become who I'm supposed to be, and I suffer, and others around me suffer as well. A third tenet. I believe that human beings are created in the image of God and are therefore of inestimable, intrinsic, sacred worth. I seek to find and see the majesty of God in every human being, and it's why I'm so fascinated by people. I see in people the majesty of God. And every part of my ethics is informed by my belief that every human life is sacred. A few others. I believe as a political Christian that I must love God with all my heart, soul, and mind first. And then I must love my neighbor as myself. If I'm going to bring justice and shalom to my city, I must love God and I must love my neighbor as myself. I believe sin has seared creation and scarred 
creation. And sin has bent my own heart away from God's will towards my own will. But God, through Jesus, has given a way for me to be forgiven and to overcome sin and to bend my will back towards God's will so that I pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that because I'm not yet free of sin and the effects of sin, and because I'm not all-knowing like God, I need humility to bring justice and shalom to my city. And lastly here, there are others, but lastly here, I believe that God has a preferential attitude towards the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed, so that, therefore, I too will have a preferential attitude towards the poor the marginalized, the oppressed, those who have no voice. Now, my ethical foundations, these tenets, they influence how I think about abortion, systemic injustice, law and order, ICE, defunding the police, systemic racism, and every other political issue. So how do we rejoice our cities? First, we, we start with a biblically informed ethical foundation that that we know what we believe and why we believe it, based on the scriptures, but starting with the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, and the greatest commandments. And we form a Christ-honoring ethical foundation. Second, get informed about the injustices in your city, whatever is your city. Whatever, it may be your school, it may be your company, it may be a neighborhood, whatever is your city, Get informed about the injustices in your city. I can no longer look away in the face of injustice. God has convicted me that when there is injustice, even if it wrecks my heart, even if it destroys me inside, I have to look at it. I cannot avert my eyes because I need to be wrecked by injustice so that I will do something about injustice. So where is there injustice in your city? Where are people not thriving and not experiencing biblical shalom? Where are people not being heard? It's not enough to have a biblically informed ethical foundation. We must, if we're going to rejoice our cities, we have to take those truths from God and we have to apply them in a way that brings justice and shalom to our city. And by the way, this is going to take some time and it's going to take some intentionality. You can't figure out your part in addressing injustice in your city till you've become aware of what are the injustices and ask the Holy Spirit to, to actually wreck you about a particular injustice so that you can start there. And by the way, you don't have to do this all by yourself starting from scratch. Our Love, Mercy, Do Justice ministry at Cornerstone has a page of resources to become aware of the injustices in our cities, city and ways to address injustices in our city. And on the next screen here, you're going to see um, where to go on our church website to read the resources from our Love, Ju Love, Mercy, Do Justice ministry. And thank you to that ministry for the hard work that you've been thinking about these things and preparing us to be those who will bless our cities. Number three, prayerfully and strategically discern how you will bring justice to your city.
prayerfully and strategically discern your part in bringing justice. None of us can, can, can address every injustice in our cities, but each of us must address some area of injustice in our cities. I say prayerfully because for us to bless our cities, we are going up against evil and systemic problems that will take nothing less than the power and wisdom of God to overcome. And so Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So we prayerfully discern where, where is our part in addressing injustice. And then secondly, we strategically discern our part. And this comes from from too many experiences, from too many people, that we think we are helping when we're only hurting. So good intentions are no excuse for bad interventions, for justice and shalom. So let us prayerfully and strategically discern how to bring justice and shalom to our cities. Number four, just two more. Number four, pursue justice and shalom in community. The journey of justice and shalom and rejoicing our cities is not a, is not, it's not sustainable solo. We can't do this by ourselves. We just won't stay on the journey. And I know because I've tried to do this as a solitary person too many times in my life and I just peter out and lose energy. The righteous in Proverbs 11.10 is plural. It's not a righteous person, but is, is the righteous together as a group and if we don't do this together in community we will fail to rejoice our cities so who will be your partners of justice and shalom for your city maybe right now your 242 team or maybe your college small group or maybe there's some other group of people that can be partners with you and together you can talk about how you will in in tangible ways rejoice your city but i encourage you as you form your justice and shalom squad, find some people who don't look like you. It changed the way that I thought about and, and pursued justice when I started to meet with people who were not middle-class white American Christians. It changed the way I think about justice when I connected with my African-American brothers and sisters, when I connected with my Hispanic brothers and sisters, and when I got outside of my own socioeconomic kind of, of, of almost prison. So find people who don't look like you. For many of us at Cornerstone, we're going to have to step out of our kind of Asian subcontext to find others so that we are reading scripture and strategizing together with people who don't look like us. And, and I just want to say on this, as you are, are finding your squad, you may have a couple of different groups of people. Don't neglect groups of people in your, your daily work, in your vocation, in what it is that God has called you to do from Monday to Friday. Don't neglect that because groups of Christians in similar vocations who get together and pray and strategize and discern justice can bring great, great good to their cities. And then finally, my last point, very briefly, do something now. Do something now. Take a step 
in the justice and shalom journey as a political Christian now. Don't wait till you get it all figured out because you will never get it all figured out. Don't wait until you have extra time because you may never have extra time. Do something now to get informed of injustice in your city, to get close enough to injustice to be wrecked by it so that you can begin to advocate for justice and shalom for all in your city. Please hear this cornerstone. Before God, it is a serious sin of omission to neglect justice and shalom for all. So in conclusion, there's been a lot of focus, of course, in the United States on Election Day, November 3rd. An African-American pastor I spent time with two weeks ago made this comment. He said, the measure of our Christianity is less on how we vote November 3rd than it is on how we live November 4th. Will you commit today to join a justice journey where for the rest of your life you use your privilege and your power and your prospering to bring justice and peace to your city? Will you develop a biblical, ethical foundation to be a Christ-like political Christian? Will you get informed about the injustices in your city? Will you prayerfully and strategically discern your part in how to bring your city justice? Will you pursue the justice journey in community and with some people who don't look like you? And will you do something now to be Christ-honoring political Christians? We have to move beyond voting and praying and caring to develop a biblical system of ethics that propels us to proximity, solidarity, and advocacy for Jesus' sake, because when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Through the blessings of the upright, a city is exalted. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it has been one of the craziest years of our lives. Like that one sign that says, life is a game of chess. I don't know how to play chess. It's already been a weird year, and it seems like there's more weirdness to come with the outcome of the elections, with the ongoing systemic racism and injustices around the world, and with a rapidly increasing infection, infection rate from COVID. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, help us be Christ-like political Christians. Not because it's an election year, but because it's the right thing to do. To make our cities rejoice because we do our part to bring them justice and shalom. In Jesus' name. And now, Father in heaven, as we transition to the Lord's Supper, to participate in communion with you, would you please quiet our heads 
and our hearts and our souls. There is a heaviness in the air, a thickness in the atmosphere, a weight upon our hearts. Jesus, as we come now to the table of communion, would you, through your presence in this moment with us, would you strengthen us and comfort each one of us? Come into our living rooms. Come into where, wherever it is that we are right now. We're uncertain of so many things. Would you remind us of the certainty of your presence? We are anxious about so many things. Would you remind us of the peace of your presence? We are troubled about so many things. Would you remind us of the comfort of your presence? We are weary in so many ways. Would you empower us with your presence? This morning in communion, we come uncertain, anxious, troubled, weary. We come to the table of fellowship with you to remember and receive your certainty, peace, comfort, and power. And now would all of you pray out loud the Lord's Prayer that will be on the screen, and then we will celebrate communion. Together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.